0: Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Self-driving cars, they're still not here yet.
1: But they're getting closer every day, from what I hear.
0: Yeah, two years ago we talked about Stanley, which was, uh, according to the title of the episode, the first self-driving car.
1: Well, yeah, so even even further back than that, when was it that we were both working at Udacity now? That was almost, that was five years ago. Five
0: now, years ago. Which was wow. where we
1: first met and spawned this podcast in the first place. But... The reason that that's interesting is because that was the summer where, when we were working at Udacity, it was with uh, Sebastian Thrun, who was one of the one of the um, folks who was working there with us. He was the founder, but before that, had been working on self driving cars. And one thing leads to another, and they're really fascinating. And so, anyway, we ended up learning a whole lot about Stan's, Stanley the self driving car that summer, and thought it was really cool, and made a couple podcast episodes about it.
0: So as we are on vacation, uh, we are going to bring this story from a couple of years back to your ears. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, for the first time. And if you are a long-time listener, for the second time. Enjoy. Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. I got a question for you. Do you, first of all, do you have a car?
1: Uh, I don't. I sold it when I moved to Chicago. I used okay, to. Okay,
0: so the car that you used to have, did it have a name?
1: No, it was just the blue car.
0: Oh, so it kind of it had a name?
1: Well, I will say this. I My sister took it for a year when I was living out of the country, and she named it, but I forget what uh, she named it. Stella, okay. maybe? Stella.
0: Yeah, mine, mine is called, it's a black Toyota Yaris. It's called Black Turtle, because it kind of <laughs> looks like a turtle from the side. And then my partner's is a white Toyota Yaris called Egg, because it's a two-door. Oh. It looks like an egg. Anyway, um, we're going to talk about a different named car, which is not owned by any of us, in just a second. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So I guess we'll just start, like, I met you when we were both working at Udacity. Mm -hmm. And Udacity is a company, online education company, that was started by this guy, Sebastian, who a couple years prior, was it just a couple years prior?
1: Uh, Ten or so. This was in 2005, maybe 2006, when he became famous the first time. And the place where we're going with with this is uh, he was sort of the project lead, if you want to call it that, on uh, what you could call the world's first self-driving car, which was named Stanley. 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 That's a
0: wonderful Uh, name for a car.
1: Yeah, well, so he was, uh, Sebastian was at Stanford at the time, and, like, the robotics team, a oh. significant part of it was at Stanford, and mm. I think that was the original explanation.
0: Yeah, get Ford out of the name. Ford? Oh, Ford being another car company. I'm oh, just well, making d- a dumb joke. Yeah,
1: no, you definitely wouldn't want to have Ford in there, because it was a Volkswagen Targ, but... Um, oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not.
1: Um, But, yeah, so so as a research project, basically, in 2005, I want to say... Maybe, it's pretty early. Yeah, 2000, yeah, 2005. So there's this group. It's the Defense Advanced Research Projects Association, or something is that, like that. Is that what it's? Yeah, I, I only DARPA. know it as DARPA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so this is basically a government group. I think it's somewhere in the under the defense agencies, I presumably. They uh, do all anyway, kinds of
0: like really cool stuff. If you don't think of some of their stuff in the context of war.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> sure. Uh, one of those things being kind of specking out what they think it means to have self-driving cars and then ish- having a contest to say, basically, who can build a self-driving car. And then this contest was entered by a bunch of different university groups and, I don't know, potentially other groups at maybe car companies and stuff. I don't know. There were actually a lot of uh, potential competitors. And so they laid out basically a race for self-driving cars through the desert, and they said, if anybody can, whoever wins this race, we'll give you a couple million bucks and fame and fortune. And uh, so Stanley was the first car that completed one of these DARPA Grand Challenges for self-driving cars. There had been, I think, one the year before that no one had completed successfully. Uh, So this was the first one ever uh, that anyone did. And it was done by Stanley. And I think it's, there's a really nice paper that came out of this. This is the other thing I wanted to point out is this was sort of a, an academic project almost. And one of the things that DARPA is trying to achieve in hosting competitions like this is to incentivize researchers and smart people of all stripes to just work on projects that are worthwhile and then mm. that the public as a whole can benefit from the sort of ancillary benefits of that research. And so one of the ways that that benefit can propagate is through doing things like writing good papers, and so there's a pretty nice little 30-page write-up about how Stanley was built and what that, what the DARPA race was like, and all of these, all of huh. these parameters of of the thing. And so that I was like what that. I wanted to talk about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, another obvious benefit is uh, as self-driving cars become more ubiquitous, I think society will. Uh, benefit tremendously in terms of like reduced injury and fatalities and, and whatnot. But it's it's also nice to have that kind of instant gratification and knowledge sharing, which allows other people to benefit from the research that you've done. Uh, it, it kind of feels similar to the open source movement, the creative commons movement, where you, you make a bunch of stuff, you put it out there and you say like, hey, people can, can benefit from this, not just me.
1: Yeah, for sure. And just to be clear, you would not be able to construct a self driving car from this thirty page oh, there's isn't like there's still plenty of you know, advances, yeah, no, not quite there's still plenty the of advances that i that I think are yeah that are are buried between the lines here, um but just thinking in terms of the overall structure of how did they break up this problem, I thought yeah. it was really cool. There's one more thing that I should point out before we get into the guts of this, which is that the exact parameters for this darPA Grand challenge was basically there's a route in the desert and the cars have to travel along that route. It's kind of a dirt road uh, most of the way from what I can tell. And in particular, there's not any traffic on that road. Uh, There's potentially other cars who are maybe further uh, ahead of, of a car at a given point that if you're going fast enough, you can come up behind another car and have to pass it. But in those cases, the car in front was paused if they decided to do a passing maneuver And then the car behind would presumably just see the car in front of it as like a big rock or something to be maneuvered around. So anyway, my point is, it's not a traffic situation. It's not a particularly dynamic situation. It's kind of like you're just on this track and you have to figure out how to navigate the track, but you don't have to do it while there's stuff coming at you. And this is a big and important difference from having self-driving cars deployed on the road.
0: Right. Yeah. On the road, you, I mean, obviously you covered a lot of it. But I I think another piece of it is just the variability, like you don't know what types of obstacles you might run into, whether those are people or, well, not run into, but uh, encounter, I should say, whether (laughs) those are people or even like adverse weather conditions that maybe you don't have a lot of experience with.
1: For sure. Or it's nighttime. Yeah. There's a lot of things that make quote unquote real driving more challenging than the thing we're about to talk about. Uh, but keep in mind, you know, this is the first time this was ever done ever. So for what they were trying to do then, it was clearly very challenging. (laughs) Um, and, and I think this paper helps you think through all the ways that it's challenging. Um, but obviously here we are more than 10 years later and self-driving cars are still, uh, being perfected, one might say. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a big difference, uh, between sort of our mental model of self-driving cars uh, as something that we would encounter in our uh, in our everyday lives and, and the scenarios that we're going to be talking about today. Okay. I have one
0: more question before we talk about the systems design, which is to kind of define the problem a little bit better. So we know we're in the desert. We know we don't have like pedestrians or bicyclists or whatnot to worry about. We know that we are probably not running into particularly dynamic weather, but I assume that there were also uh, some sort of rules to this uh, contest that you had to follow, like staying within certain bounds or something like that. So maybe we should go over that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the rough parameters of the challenge are there's this course in the desert. You don't find out until a couple hours before the race starts what the exact course is. So Mm -hmm. one important thing is that the entire system has to be designed to be fairly flexible with respect to what the exact course is. So they told the teams in advance that say a street like a regular uh, pickup truck would be able to travel this route, so there's nothing. There's nothing weird. You don't have to dr- drive off a cliff. You don't have to, you know, drive along some kind of crazy embankment or whatever. It's more or less anything that a, a human would be able to drive it. But you don't know what the exact route is, so there's nothing in here where you would be pre-programming the route into the car. The car, as it's going, has to be figuring out, you know, how it's going to traverse this. Uh, course.
0: And I imagine that probably means that entering into this contest, you're not thinking about car design. You're not building a BattleBot. You're just, you're building a system that will take a, basically a normal modified car and have a driver out.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. And that's something that they call out explicitly in the paper is that the Stanford team treated this challenge as a software problem and not as a hardware problem. There were some mods that they had to make to the car to like give it sensors and put computers on it and things like that. But by and large, I mean, it was a, it was a street legal Volkswagen. Um, hmm. You could still drive it down the street today if you could get it out of the Smithsonian, which is where it is right now.
0: Yeah. Um, that's tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so the idea is I say there's going to be this course in the desert It's about 140 miles long. You have to do it in, I think they had some cutoff amount of time, but the amount of time that Stanley ended up taking to do it was about seven hours. So it averaged about 20 miles an hour that Stanley was driving. And so two hours before the start of the race, all the teams get a a, a data file that basically spells out what the course is. And so it's a series of points, like lat long points, and the order in which they have to be traversed. So if you were that to connect long. all those points... Yeah, latitude and longitude. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so if you were to connect all those points, then you could follow them from one to the other, and it's just this connect-the-dots exercise, and that will take you through the course. And so anything that's weird, let's say there's some kind of windy road, then if you were to follow the dots hypothetically, it would take you through that windy road and whatever. But as we'll, as we'll see, there's kind of... If you just follow the the points, then that has some disadvantages. And so part of the winning solution here was to figure out where to be smart about trusting those points and where to be smart about collecting other information. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so you get you get the trail, like the path that you're supposed to follow. And there's also speed limits that are attached to some of these areas. And so the goal is there can be absolutely no team intervention during the race. So obviously you have full ability to do whatever to your car beforehand, uh, you, two hours before you get the, uh, the race course. And so then that needs to be loaded into the car and then it's hands off. So there's no remote control contact with the car. You know, there's nothing that the team is able to do once the car is out on the on the track. And then the cars, in order to sort of like win the race, the car has to not hit any objects. So don't drive into a rock or whatever. It's supposed to follow the path that it was given. So if it just wanders off the trail and starts driving through the desert, that is also a problem. And then in the event that there's more than one car that's able to successfully complete the course, the winner is the one that does it the fastest. And all of the cars were started at, there's like a five minute stagger to the start. So the cars were more or less traveling the route alone because there's a decent sized gap in between them. Although, as we'll get to, sometimes they uh encountered each other uh when they were out on the course um but for the most part it's uh you're out there on your own and so it's not like there's this whole pack of cars that are jostling the whole way along
0: okay so katie we've talked about the rules we haven't yet gotten into the system design but there's been enough interesting stuff in this episode and we're kind of getting a little bit long so should we get into the nitty-gritty in the next episode
1: I think that sounds like a good idea because there is a lot of nitty gritty and it's all interesting. So it's worth, it's worth taking the time to dig into it a little bit.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Stanley part two coming your way soon. Linear digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, so other people get to listen to this content, too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com, in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at LinDigressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.